If you'll remain standing at this time with me and open up your Bibles, uh, we're going to be reading Philippians 1, verses 19 through 30. And if you do not have a Bible, it'll be up on the screen for you. Uh, this will be our scripture reading for this morning, and then I'll invite you to be seated. We are picking up where we left off last week. We finished in verse 18. And so, Philippians 1, verses 19 through 30, Paul says, Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not at all be ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death." For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents." This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation, and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. May God bless the reading of this word. Please be seated at this time. The uh, title this morning is a hope for the fearful. A hope for the fearful, or a hope for those who are afraid in life. And I've been a pastor long enough now to know that whenever I, I preach a sermon, really I feel like I get up and preach the same 20 sermons over and over and over again. Luckily, the Christian life is not all that complicated. Some parts of it are complicated, right? But the basic concepts of things like prayer and the gospel and the Bible and things like that are, are pretty common concepts. And yet one of the types of sermons that I think I will probably preach till the day I die, till the day that the Lord calls me home, are sermons that help people from God's word in dealing with the uncertain future, which I think often causes us much worry, anxiety, and fear in life. Uh, this weekend, as many of you know, I was a part of a wedding here in the chapel. Um, I was standing on the stage less than 24 hours ago as the best man uh, for my best friend, Mike Winters. Some of you know he plays bass sometimes for us on worship nights and on certain Sundays. And uh, my best friend got married, and we were married here in the chapel. And, uh, and yet I've done enough weddings now to know that um, all weddings to some degree are kind of the same in that I've noticed, like, you plan, 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 plan. You prepare, 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 prepare. If you've ever done a wedding, you know this is so true or, or gotten married, you know this is true. 
You make all these preparations, all these plans, you organize everything. I mean, there is so much to do, right? I mean, and and people don't realize it. Unfortunately, you don't know how to do a wedding until you've gone through your wedding, right? And so you don't get to take a class on it, you know? And so all the people that have never been married before have no idea how much work it is to plan a wedding, right? And you learn the hard way, right? And so there's like, well, what kind of food are we going to have? And is there going to be music? And what's the service going to be like? And who's the pastor? And what about the photos? And what about the people taking not just the wedding photos, but the photos of all the guests in the meantime between the reception? And then what's the reception going to be like? And the table decorations. I mean, it's so much work. And every time you do a wedding, and, and, and this was the case yesterday, the good news is, is that they always turn out really good. But the problem is you plan like countless hours and then you feel like you show up the day of and it's like, I don't even know if this is going to work, right? You plan, 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 and then, then you show up and you feel like everything is disorganized and everything is chaotic and it's all a blur and this guy is not where he's supposed to be. Has anyone seen the groomsman, the best man? Where is he at? You know, the wedding is about to happen, Right. Where's the pastor? Why is his mic not working? All these kind of questions begin to emerge. You plan, 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 and yet it still feels like everything is uncertain and everyone's worried and anxious. And it's funny, I've recently been on this big organization kick, and if you've been talking to me, you know that like, I've been talking about this a lot. Like I, this past year, by God's grace, like, I've like, really gotten excited about like, efficiency and having my life organized because I recently had a kid, and so now I've got more stuff to do, and I'm more tired all the time, and so I've like, got less energy but more stuff to do. You know how that works, parents? You know? And so I'm on this huge kick where like I organize everything. And I used to only organize like my work life, but now I organize my, my home life. And so like we'll get together, we plan like the meals we're going to eat and when we're going to eat it and the, the ingredients we got to go get from Kroger. And are we having people over this night, hang out the house? I mean, we plan every single thing out, right? And I'm like sharing the gospel of organization. It's absolutely amazing. But here's the deal. In light of all of my growth in organization, I still wake up every single morning And I put my feet on the ground, and I feel like I have absolutely no control as to what's going on in my life, right? I feel like I have no control what's going to happen in the future because what I have come to realize, and maybe you have as well, is that life is extremely uncertain. And I believe that we are often afraid of this uncertainty. And if this uncertainty is not handed over to Jesus, what's going to happen in your heart and your life is anxiety, is fear, and worry. I preached on Psalm 23 this past summer, and one of the things that we talked about in that sermon was we are not omnipotent. And what that means is all-powerful, able to do whatever we want. The Bible says that God is omnipotent, right? And we are not omnipotent. And because we are not all-powerful, we worry. Because you wouldn't worry about stuff if you could fix it, right? You wouldn't worry about the future if you would know the bad stuff that was going to happen and you could prevent it from happening. You wouldn't worry, would you? Or if you have the power to change things, meaning something bad happened, but you could fix it. You would never worry about anything. You wouldn't worry about losing your job if you could immediately snap your fingers and make it to where you hadn't lost your job. You wouldn't worry about your kids if you could control everything about them. And so we begin to think that what we really need in order for life to go well is we need control. Raise your hand if you ever felt that way. If I just had all the control, if everything was just up to me, If my amazing, intelligent brain just got a hold of all reality, everything would be better. If everybody just did what I said, if everybody just thought like me, if everybody had this piece of meat between their ears, right, then everything would be better. 
Everybody needs John's brain and John's disposition and everyone needs my way of life and everybody needs my values and everybody needs everything. We just need a bunch of me's everywhere. That's what we need, right? And everything would be better. There'd be no ISIS. There'd be no, no stupid presidential debates. There'd be none of that stupid stuff, right? Because if everyone was like me, then everything would be better. And so we say often that we're afraid of the uncertain future and we truly are and yet what the real problem is, I think, is we're all just power hungry. And we're all just egotistical. And we're all just way too confident for the person that we really are. And what I want to maybe offer to you today is this idea that maybe what you need in your life is not to know or control everything, but to hand your life over to the one who can do it so much better than you, who knows your desires so much better to you, to say whether in life or in death or in good or in bad, that whatever comes my way, I am surrendering everything to Christ that all of my life is his, and when I die, my life is his. Maybe the solution is not to control everything, but ultimately the solution is to live a life of a surrendered posture before God who knows everything. You see, your uncertain future in your life causes you fear, worry, and anxiety. But I've got really good news for you this morning. That is not God's plan for your life. Amen? God does not want you to be afraid all the time. God doesn't want you to be fearful. God doesn't want you to be like uncertain. Like God wants you to be walking with him. God wants you to be happy. We're sometimes afraid to say that. God wants you to be happy. God wants you to be at peace. But ultimately what God teaches us is that those things come from surrendering everything into his hands and live a life of just simply following Jesus. And I think we begin to see this in our text this morning, and, and we talked about it last week, that as the, the letter that we read, right? So keep in mind, we're reading a letter, okay? And so, so often what happens when we look at the Bible is, especially in a sermon like this, is we take our 11 verses and we remove them out of the book of Philippians and we just kind of view it as if there's no context and background, right? And yet what we are reading is a letter uh, that Paul wrote from himself while he was in prison to the church in Philippi, and it picks right off of where we were last week, Right? And so what's happening in the text that we read is it's written by a guy, keep this in mind, who is in prison. So Paul, as he's writing this letter, is in prison. And Paul is ultimately uncertain about what his fate will be. Because what is happening is the church in Philippi, who he's writing to, who he's partnering with, they're worried about him. Because Paul's locked up, right? That's not good, right? They're afraid for Paul. And a lot of times in prisons, you know, back in his day, they didn't have the justice that we have, right? They could just murder Paul. They could just execute him. The authorities could just decide to do so. He didn't get a fair trial. He didn't get all this stuff right. Paul's life was in these people's hands. And so they were like, because he's in prison, he may not make it out. He might, but he might not. And so there's this uncertainty about his future, and the church is discouraged. And yet what Paul offers the church is he unleashes the secret to dealing with our uncertainty. What Paul offers is a hope for the fearful. And so let's go to our text this morning. Let's start in verse 19. We're going to verse by verse through it. And we're going to see what Paul tells us. In verse 19, talking to the church, he says, I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my 
deliverance. And so Paul is believing that God is going to free him, but he still knows it's ultimately uncertain. He says, As it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not at all be ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. And so Paul says, My aim in life is to honor Christ, and whether I live or whether I die, this dream will be realized. Verse 21, this is like the famous verse, right? For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. And that phrase right there is so powerful, not just to us, but to the church in Philippi as well. Because in them, like, you know, death was like game over, right? This was a newer church of newer believers. It's kind of like, you know, when you're playing Mario or whatever and, and you, you die, it's like game over, right? That's how most people view death, right? It's like game over, you lose or whatever, you know? And that's kind of how a lot of people see it. And yet what Paul begins to offer is a hope for the fearful. What Paul begins to offer them is he says, if I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me, yet what I shall choose I cannot tell. Verse 23, I am hard-pressed between the two because my desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better, but to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. And I think what Paul begins to open up in our minds here is something that most of us don't often think of. If you're like me, you usually, in whatever situation you're in, and this is, this is so true, right? Whatever situation you're in, you come up with like, this, this is the good thing that will happen, and this is like the bad thing, right? So this is like what I want to happen. This is the good outcome. And over here, here's the bad outcome, right? And so for Paul, you would think, okay, if I get out of prison, that's good. Um, and if I don't get out of prison or if I die, that's really bad. That, that, that's how most of us would view it, right? And that's understandable. That's reasonable, right? And yet what Paul begins to say is like, if I stay here with you, if, if, if this good option happens, which I really want to happen because I want to help you guys, I want to get back to you, church in Philippi, if this happens, that's really good, right? I get to go with you, help you joy and progress in your faith. God is working. We're a part of it. This is awesome. And so this is the good outcome. And yet, whereas most of us would transition to the bad outcome, Paul says, and yet then if I die, it is actually even better. Paul has a whole new perspective than we have. Paul says, here's the good outcome, and then here's an even better outcome than the good outcome that I kind of want to happen. Actually, like, actually no, I, I want this to happen, but this is going to happen probably, but it's still going to be good. So no matter what happens, whatever happens, it's good. And here's the reality. And, and I want to give a, uh, my main idea this morning in, in what they call a, a declarative kind of way, meaning I'm not just going to give you a, a nugget of thought, Right? But I want to proclaim something over you. I want to invite you into a way of seeing your life and all your circumstances that is full of hope. And here it is. That we as followers of Jesus will not fear anything or anyone, whether in death or life, because Christ will hold us. We will not fear anybody or anyone, because whether in death or in life, Christ shall hold us. And Paul begins to work this out even in verses 27 through 30 where he tells them, do not fear your opponents. Do not fear those who come against you. Do not fear those who oppose the advancement of the gospel. Do not fear them because of the hope that you have. They have no hope, but you do have hope. Do not be afraid of them. He says, stand firm, stand strong. 
He says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Either way, what happens, it is good. Whereas we often think here's good, here's bad. Paul says here's good and here's eternally better. And so here's the reality, here's the problem. We think in life, because we're all control freaks, right, that we need to know the future. And we need to be able to control the future. We need to know what's going to happen in the days and months ahead in our life. And yet what Paul says is what we really need to know is Jesus, not the future. What you need to know is Christ. What you need to know is not the future, because even if you knew it, you couldn't control it, could you? What you need to know is the one who holds the future, the one who ordained the future. You need to know the one who loves you and the one who died for you and the one who cares for you and the one who provides for you. You need to get to know the one who does control the waves and who does control the circumstances and who does bind the broken hearted. You don't need to know every future detail. You just need to know Christ because here's the reality for the Christian. There is no bad future. And, and do you feel the hope and the wonder and the happiness that comes when you realize that no matter what happens, God will always be with you and he will always advocate for you? That if you die tomorrow as a follower of Christ, it's just, you know, you're going to be with God eternally in the kingdom of God or, or heaven, that you're going to be with him forever, that, that no matter what circumstance, do, do you sense what happens in your life when you actually begin to believe this powerful idea that God is with us and that he loves us? And yet the problem is most people in the world, they, they don't have this. And we get fearful. And then we start doing stupid stuff, right? Because we're afraid. We get insecure, we get uncomfortable, we don't know what to do. We start reaching and we start trying to, to make things happen ourselves and we start trying to control things and then we make bad decisions and then we retreat to things like addiction because we're just struggling we can't control everything instead of just giving everything to God and letting him control it. There was an article that I read this week. It was on DesiringGod.org, which I don't know if you've ever been to DesiringGod.org, but if you want like really good Christian content and articles um, that kind of talk about the Christian faith from a practical perspective, I really recommend DesiringGod.org. It's an amazing website. Um, but there was this article on there that, that I found really intriguing, and it was totally clickbait, but it got me. You know, that's how it works. And the title of the article was, What If the Worst Happens? And it was written by this lady, and... She talked about how maybe like some of you, she struggled with like just these eternal what-if scenarios in her life. And her whole life was just, well, what if this happens? And what if this happens? And then what if this happens? And what if, what if this bad thing happens? And then what if this happens? And then what if they think this about me? And what if they don't like me? And what if someone is mean to me? What if somebody harms me? Like what if this happens? Like all these worries, right? And she, be, she began to see that what happens in like the resurrection is this reality that um, the resurrection offers us this idea of turning our what-ifs into even-sos. That even if death comes, that even if the bad happens, that we believe in this concept of resurrection. And she referenced the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, which is a really good story um, in the book of Daniel. And, and just kind of a short summary, it's these three guys, and there's this oppressive ruler who wants these three fear, uh, people that love the Lord to bow down to a false idol. 
And, and the ruler's like, you know, I'm going to throw you in this fiery furnace if you don't bow down and worship this false idol. And what they respond to him by saying is, we believe that God can save us. We believe that God will save us. And yet even if he doesn't, I will not bow down to your false idol. And when I think of us, what I think most of us do is we just live our lives bowing down to the altar of fear. Oh, fear, if, maybe if I'm afraid, then it will somehow help the situation. Maybe if I worry, it will lead me to do something. Maybe if I think about it enough, I'll be able to fix it myself. And yet in our situation, we do the same thing where we begin to turn all of our what-ifs into even-sos. I've shared the story before of how um, in college, I, uh, you know, when you're in school, like the, the worst-case scenario, right, is that you fail a class, right? And when I was in college, I've shared this before, like the only class I ever failed was like logic, which is probably not a good sign. Um, but the one class I failed was, was logic. And I know, it's, it's sad, it's just my life, you know. But um, anyway, so I, I failed it. But uh, so I, I had this bad habit when I was in college where like I would, um, I kind of prided myself on not being able to study or read that much. This is, don't just do nothing as I did as a student, you know. And yet I would always kind of catch up at the end and I'd study for the final and do pretty good on it. I'd always get through. I was like the epitome of like a B student, you know. And I was happy about that, you know. I was cool with that, right. And yet I got in this one bad situation where I was in this logic class, and unfortunately it was like a math-based logic class, which if you know anything about math, you can't cram math, because like, it all builds on each other, right? It's not like history, you just memorize a bunch of facts and stuff, you know, and just regurgitate it on the test. Like you have to actually, you have to learn math, you know? You can't just do it, you know, you can't cram, right? And so I was studying the night before, and I began to realize, oh my goodness, like I've, this is it for me. I've finally, like it's caught up to me, you know, this is what I get after all these years, you know? And I walked into that font, I was praying, praying, praying. I was like, God, I need a miracle, you know. Like, I don't know what you're going to do, how you're going to do this. Just give me a miracle, Lord. I'll do anything. I'll, I'll do anything you want me to do for the rest of my life. Just help me to pass this final, you know. And I get in there in the first half of the final. I feel like, oh, my gosh, God's doing it. Like, I knew a lot of the answers. Like, oh, my gosh, God, you're doing a miracle, you know. And then, like, the second half of the final, I didn't know a single answer. And it was the only time I literally just left it all blank and turned it back in. And, like, walked out, like, in shame before the professor could look at my final and say I didn't answer any of it, you know. And I walked out of there, and it totally ruined my weekend. I was sick to my stomach, and I almost couldn't eat all weekend because I just felt like a complete failure. My, my worst reality had come to fruition. I had actually failed a class. That's like the worst-case scenario when you're a student. And yet what I, I found, and once again, you should, this is not advocating to fail classes or anything, but, you know, it's not the end of the world, you know? That's what I learned, and so often, with all these scenarios, we, it's the end of the world. If this happens, then everything's going to fall apart. Right? We, we put all of our eggs in this one basket. And what I found was, ironically, failing that class made me a better student. I actually started to read. I actually started to study. I, I, I tasted what failure was like. And God used that to, to mold me into at least a little bit of a better student. Right? I, I did become better because of that situation. But it wasn't the end of the world. And I even got this chance. I was, I was really embarrassed because, actually, I really liked the professor whose class I failed. And ironically, I went back to him afterwards, and I, I apologized. I was so embarrassed, you know. I was like, I, I should have studied. I actually apologized to him for failing his class. And we had this, like, long, hour-long conversation. And it's funny. He was acting really, like, you know, kind of, like, stern at first with me. And then he was like, you know, he's like, because, you know, he's a Christian guy. He's like, you know, God's going to use this in your life in a very, very powerful way. He said, it's going to be this moment that you're always going to look back to and remember that, that this is what happens. 
And I think what often happens in our life is we have these scenarios, we have these worst case things, and we think, man, if that thing happened, like everything would fall apart in my life. I think what that shows us is that we put all of our eggs in one basket and that we've not surrendered everything to Jesus. And so I think that when we talk about um, not fearing anything or anyone but in everything because in life or death Christ will hold us, we want to begin to apply this to our life. And so I want to give you a couple things really quick before we close. Number one, the way that we actually do this is to be full of faith regarding the future. Be full of faith, be faith-filled, be fearless regarding the future. This is what Paul says. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me, yet which I shall choose I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two, and my desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. I love how Paul completely lays everything down and says, you know what, this is really up to God. To live as Christ to die is gain. Paul, Paul does not seem to have a position of like, I'm in control here, and whatever I think needs to happen is going to be the thing that happens. Right? That, that's not Paul's disposition here, right? Paul is full of faith. And the reason why this is so important is because what you don't realize, and this happens to you every single moment of your life, is that everybody around you is persuading you to something. CNN is persuading you to think a certain way. Every show you watch, even if, it's, even if it's not the news, even if it's like a, like, a, like a made-up story, even if it's a reality TV show, even if it's sports, every single one of your friends is persuading you to think a certain way. And when we spend time with God and whatever means that is, when we fill our life with the faith, what happens is we begin to experience the power of what happens when you adopt Jesus' life as your life and not just kind of meander in this life believing everything everywhere. And so here's the reality. Everybody has faith, even the atheist, even the agnostic. Everybody has faith. The atheist has faith that they don't have faith because they're certain of it. The agnostic is certain that they're uncertain, right? I'm not quite sure, but I'm sure that I'm not quite sure. And as Christians, we have a faith in Jesus that he is leading us, that he is guiding us. And when we we begin to apply this faith to our life, we begin to see what happens with it by what it does in our life. Your life will change when you begin to open the scriptures and read it and let it define what you think. Your life will begin to change when you begin to pray to God and lay everything down to him. Your life will change when you begin to enjoy nature as a gift of God to you, which, by the way, has been awesome, hasn't it? I mean, praise the Lord, right? This is when it's, like, easy, you know? Like, God, you're so amazing, you know? This is awesome, perfect weather, you know? It's, like, below 90, which is awesome, right? But whatever that looks like for you, the so often is we let everything fill us up, and then we wonder why we're living in fear. We let our coworkers convince us that if I lost my job, that'd be the end of everything because that's how they think and that's how they live their life. We live our life in constant, perpetual fear. And yet in life, we believe that Jesus is with us. But then also in John chapter 14, Jesus talks about the reality of heaven, the the eternal hope. He says in John 14, Let not your hearts be troubled. 
believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. I love how Jesus gives us this image that we will be at peace when we are close to him. That's what prayer is. That's what the Bible is. That's what memorizing his scripture is. It's being close to God. It's saying, Jesus, I I don't want to leave your presence because I know when I wander out there, I will have no hope because I'm not omnipotent. I'm not all-powerful. I can't control everything. And if I wander out there, I will not have this hope, Jesus, that you offer my life. You see, Paul knew who God was. Paul knew that God had him in life or death. Paul, Paul knew, Paul was certain about the reality that Jesus had all of his future in his hands. The world persuades us to fear, but Jesus persuades us to hope and to happiness. So the first thing is to fill yourself with faith. And the second thing is this, be faithful in the present. I've been thinking a lot about this recently. And whenever you stop worrying about the future, because you're like, okay, look, God's going to handle that. He, okay, he, I can't control it anyway, so I'm going to let him do that, right? Because he can, right? Because like the same, the same God that created you and loves you, the same God that created the Rocky Mountains also holds your future, so I'm okay with that, right? But what happens is you begin to live in the actual moment. Have you ever thought about that? That in this moment, you're living in a moment of time. That you are living that you are breathing, that you are living under, that you're experiencing, you're, you're listening to me talk right now. You're, you're in a moment, right? You're, you're, and, and, and you need to milk it for what it's worth. You need to find God's presence and enjoy it and, and wonder at the reality that he's given you this moment in your life. And this is the moment that we're called to live in. And this is the moment that we're called to think about. I love how in uh, Matthew chapter 6, the famous text where Jesus says to, to not be anxious, he basically says, hey, look, look at the birds. They don't plan. They don't store up stuff. You know, they're not super organized like I'm trying to be, right? The birds have no organization. They have no plan. They're, they're, not, they're not freaking out like you are, and yet the Lord provides for them. And then he says, and God loves you even more than them, which is pretty cool. You're loved more than the birds. That's a theological fact, right? And so God likes, you, God likes you more than the birds. And so God will provide even more for you than them because he loves you. And his advice to them, the, the application out of do not be anxious, he doesn't just say don't worry. He says, seek first the kingdom of God and these things will be added unto you. He says, do not be anxious about tomorrow, do good today. That's your calling. Do not be anxious about tomorrow, do not be worried about tomorrow. Love somebody today in this moment because we're not afraid about the future. We know God has the future, we know he's preparing the future, we know he's got a place for us, and we know we're on the way there. But here's where you are right now in this moment. Today, it's October 2nd, right? Yeah, okay. October 2nd, 2016, this is the moment that you're in. Seek the kingdom in this moment. Don't try to love everybody. Love somebody. 
help an actual person. Pray to God. Do not worry about tomorrow. Do good today. Because here's the reality. Like, your role is not to control the future. Your your role is to be like Christ and to seek the kingdom first. It's like, imagine if today I'd shown up to church and I'm scheduled to preach like I am. And, you know, I just decided instead of preaching, I want to help Daniel out in the sound booth. It'd be a chaotic service, right? Because it'd be time for the sermon. Nobody would be walking up to the stage, right? It'd be kind of awkward, wouldn't it? My role today is to stand here and to preach the word of God. That's what God wants me to do. And in the same way, what God wants you to do is to seek the kingdom first and let him control the future. In the same way, if I decided that, you know, instead of me paying the bills, I was going to give that responsibility to my five-month-old daughter, Molly, that wouldn't be good, right? If I gave her the responsibility of paying the bills, they would not get paid. They'd get chewed on, right? She'd, you know, she'd chew on everything right now, right? But they wouldn't get paid. Because that's my responsibility. That's not her responsibility. Do not worry about tomorrow. Do good today. And the last point in closing is there comes a moment where you just have to surrender it all. There comes a moment where you just have to let it go. And this is something that I've, uh, kind of a a discipline that I've developed in my life. Uh, When I pray, I have a moment in prayer that I call just surrender. And I, I try my best to pray at the beginning of the day And what I will do as I begin to close my prayer is I will say, um, essentially, kind of like Paul says, to live as Christ, to die as gain. I I say, hey, look, God, here's what I think. Here's what I'd like you to do. I'm laying my request before you, God. And yet I will literally say, I surrender all. I believe that as humans that we were created to live with open hands to whatever God has for us. And I believe that when we begin to stop trying to control everything and just eat whatever food in life the Lord provides for us, whatever circumstances he decides to feed us, to embrace those circumstances. And so as a way of actually kind of letting this drive home today, this idea of not fearing anyone or anything because we have a confidence as a church, that God is going to provide for us. Um, I wanted to close before I I pray. And I want to invite you with just our voices to to sing a a hymn with me. Um, It's I Surrender All. We we sang it earlier. And if you know it, then please feel the freedom to close your eyes and just like sing the song with me and let it kind of resonate. If you don't, I'm going to have the words up on the screen. But as we sing this, what this is, is this is us saying, God, we, we hear what you say. And we know that whether in death or life, that you will have us, that you will hold us. And we know that because of the cross, because you have revealed that you have died for us and risen again, that we know, Lord, we can trust you. So I'm going to invite you to sing this with me. All to Jesus I surrender. All to him I freely give. I will ever 
trust him in his presence daily live. I surrender all. I surrender all. All to thee, my blessed Savior. I surrender all. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. God, that you have provided hope for us. And God, we know that at different points in our life, we forget that you are in control. We forget that you are holding the future. We forget, God, that in a lot of ways, you're just mysterious. That when you could have told us, this is exactly when I'm going to return, that, that you said, only I know that. Because, God, I think what you reveal in that is what you really want from us is faith. God, I pray for these people that we would learn to do our part in this. That we would walk with you. That we would love you. That we would trust you. And that we would no longer fear because, Lord, not because we're just trying to do some kind of psychology, but because you have told us that no matter what happens, that you will hold us. That you will work all things together for good. And that even in death, it only gets better. We thank you for this hope. We pray all these things in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.